Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sobriety Core Podcast, a collection of stories from people who happen to be sober. I'm your host, Kim Palumbo. Hey, friends. For episode 25, I am joined by Kim Singleton. Kim is on Instagram at kimsingleton.solutions and recently launched a clean living website. Kim, I'm so glad that you're joining me. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Kim, who are you? This is a question that was really hard for me to answer, um, I guess, probably for most of my life. Um, from the outside, I, I guess I'm a military spouse, the mommy to our almost four-year-old daughter, an infertility advocate. We did struggle to get pregnant before we had her, and then three years, the past three years, clean living enthusiast, a beauty counter consultant, a blogger, striving minimalist. That's from the outside. Like, honestly, from the inside, I'm still trying to figure out who I am. Most of my adult life, this was like an internal battle. I'm not saying it was due to my struggle of alcohol, but like that definitely had something to do with it. So I guess I'm just like currently trying to take proactive steps in my life to figure out who I am. (laughs) You are the first person to answer that question that way. I love, (laughs) I I know, I love that you approached it from the outside versus the inside. I think that's uh, just so much of, you know, growing up and growing up is so much happens your whole life. You think you're going to arrive into adulthood, right? Right. What brought you to sobriety? Oh, um, let's see. I guess I should probably go back and give a brief overview of what brought me to drink. I guess looking back, I realized that I was an anxious child. I lacked a lot of confidence and I never really thought I was good at anything. I've always been okay at a bunch of things, but I never really excelled at one thing or really had any passions, if that makes sense. I did have a pretty good childhood, but I, I know now looking back, I wasn't taught how to deal with my emotions or stress. If you fast forward to high school, I had my first drink when I was 15, and I guess I kind of quickly realized that it was an escape. It made me feel good, but it also like numbed me to situations that were going on in my life. And I guess just how I felt about myself in general, because like I said, I was a, a child, an anxious child. I lacked confidence. And then when you would drink, you didn't feel that way anymore. I didn't drink every day or anything like that. I guess I would just say that I was a normal teenager. Um, it was mostly on the weekends. I know now I would always drink with intentions to black out. I just thought that that was kind of normal. I mean, people would joke around about like not remembering anything from the night before. And I don't know if that was true, but like, I honestly would not remember things from the night before. I maintained average grades and luckily I had a serious boyfriend and I never really got in trouble. So I thought I was just like a normal teen. Mm -hmm. And I guess I should also note that I did grow up in Northwest Indiana and there was a very prevalent opiate uh, epidemic out there. And I never got involved with that, but a few people that I was, and I still am really close to did. I never dabbled with any other drugs. I did smoke pot a few times and that definitely was not for me. I just did not like how it felt. It's totally different than when you, when you drink. So alcohol became my, my choice of drug. After high school, that's kind of when things started getting a little bit more out of control. I wasn't really sure what to do with my life. I was in and out of college. I was just working like dead-end jobs. And I guess I kind of like to call it it my floundering days. 
like I said, I never really got in trouble, but I was pretty much directionless. I, I didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. My drinking kind of got so bad to the point, but no one, no one knew it from the outside. I would literally carry around a water bottle and have vodka in it. Vodka was very easy to disguise. It, mm. it honestly just looked like water and I would never get wasted throughout the day, but I would definitely take it to class with me to work. And I would be, you know, sipping on alcohol just to maintain a certain level of tipsiness, if that makes sense. I did start taking Adderall when I was 19 and I was never diagnosed with ADD or ADHD. I honestly just went to the doctor and said that I couldn't concentrate. And looking back, I know it was just because I was probably depressed and anxious and he gave me a prescription Adderall. I never abused it or anything like that. I just didn't really take it like how you're supposed to. I wouldn't take it every day. So it really kind of messed things up and affected my sleep. And I would always take the Adderall and drink together. The days that I was not taking it, I was really unproductive and unmotivated, pretty much exhausted. And that's like when school started suffering pretty, pretty bad for me. I wouldn't go to class. I would either withdraw or fail out. Yeah, I was just kind of all over the place. But no one really ever knew, you know, I was drinking. I took the Adderall until I was 25. I kind of weaned myself off of it the last year. And then I just stopped cold turkey. That's how kind of how things spun out of control. I met my now husband when I was 24. And I quickly realized that he wasn't going to put up with any of that. So I, I did kind of change my ways a little bit. But he didn't he didn't know about any of that back then. I did have a few bouts of sobriety since my teens. The first one was when my husband went away to training when I was 25. And that was when I also stopped the Adderall. I honestly just stopped everything cold turkey. I knew that if we were going to survive our relationship, I had to change my ways. I had to stop drinking. I had to do better in school, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I was sober from July, 2011 until probably April, 2012. Once I started drinking again, I, I did have control over it. I was able to just have a few drinks here and there. I wasn't hiding anything, nothing like that. I was in school full time. I was doing well. That's, we moved to Texas. And then the thought we were married in July, 2012. And then the following summer on um, June, 2013, I got pregnant. Obviously I didn't drink or anything then. Um, in September, 2013, lost the baby. It was a mis miscarriage. I, it was just chromosomal abnormalities. So that was pretty devastating. After that, I, I started drinking again around Christmas time and I wasn't hiding anything, but I was definitely drinking more than I should. Let's see. I also graduated that December and then we were trying to have, trying to get pregnant again and it wasn't happening. Fast forward another six months, still nothing. We were going through fertility treatments and then he came home one day and said he was deploying and he'd be leaving in 10 days. So that's kind of when things started to go downhill pretty fast for me. After he left, I was working a full-time job. I was doing really well at work. Like drinking never got in the way of work. I was very calculated when I would drink, but pretty much when I wasn't working, I was drinking alone at the house. Uh, I was away from family or friends. And I've always been, I hate saying it, but like a, a closet drinker, like literally a closet drinker. That's where I would, I would hide, um, hide things. So I spent those nine months that he was gone going to work and kind of, you know, just drinking. When he got home, I, I pulled in the reins a little bit and went kind of back to normal. And luckily I did get pregnant about six months after he got home um, with our, with our now, now daughter. I never struggled with alcohol when I was pregnant, never 
even Craig did nothing like that. I had a good pregnancy. And when she was about six months old, that's when I kind of started drinking again. It was just the same pattern. I didn't realize it at the time, but that's what would happen. I would think that I'd be okay. I, I think, you know, I, I could just, you know, drink like a normal person, but I, I really couldn't. Things kind of started spinning out of control over the past couple of years. And I didn't, I didn't put the two, two and two together. I didn't put my, you know, anxiety issues or, you know, my depression. I didn't correlate that with my alcohol. I never really drank to, I honestly just like, liked the feeling of drinking. I liked mm-hmm. how it made me feel. And it wasn't until about a year and a half ago that I realized like, this is not normal. Like something, something isn't right. But I, I, I was, I had the misconception that you were either an alcoholic or you could be a normal drinker. I did not know that, you know, there was gray area drinking. I guess that's kind of what brought me to my sobriety is that I realized like there has to be something beyond this. I, I, I can't feel this way anymore. I can't be doing, doing this. How do you stay sober? I kind of unknowingly started building, which I didn't know was called a toolkit at the time, but that's what it was. A few months before I stopped drinking, I know that I realized something was going on and that I wanted to stop, but I didn't really know how. And it was honestly, I think just through a Google search that I came across This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. Mm-hmm. And I, I started reading up on that and that's when it like things kind of clicked. And I was like, wow, there's actually this whole other realm of having an issue with alcohol than just it being black and white. From there, it kind of stemmed. I started listening to her podcast. I read her book, obviously. I joined some Facebook groups. And then I've never searched hashtags in my life really before, but that's when I started searching (laughs) hashtags on Instagram. And I found all these accounts like centered around sobriety. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like I'm not the only one out there like this, you know? Um, I totally know. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, what? And it just started changing my perspective. And I, I kind of just like was like a creeper for a while and like would hang out in, you know, Facebook groups and just read what other people would post. And then I finally like told my story one day. And that's when I got a response that like, you know, so many other people could relate to that. So I think that having that community, whether it's, you know, through groups or just that's really helped. I never went to AA or, I mean, I've seen a therapist off and on throughout the years but that really didn't, that really didn't help me much either. I think it was always just like the sense of community and not realizing that I wasn't alone. I also kind of immersed myself in this whole like non-toxic living thing. When I stopped drinking alcohol, I realized like I want to take out all of the toxins in my life that I possibly can. And I thought that I was a healthy person, you know what I mean? Like I was eating nutritious foods. I was exercising everything from the outside looked like I was healthy. But then I was consuming alcohol, which is a carcinogen, and then putting all of this toxic, you know, skincare products on my body. And I really just got really involved in learning how to live a more non-toxic, non-toxic life. And I think that if you find something that you're passionate about or that really motivates you, that's really important in any type of recovery. It might not be true for everyone, but for me, like having something to work towards to and like learn about and be excited about, that makes me want to do better and be a better person. That's really helped me because I never really never really had that before. I think a lot of people experience that really? in recovery. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think so. I mean, and even in 12-step programs, it's about helping another person, right? It's about being of service. And I think that becomes something to focus on and, and something to pursue, whether or not you engage in that you know, type of modality of recovery. I think many people find that you know they were trying to fill some void yeah void and they find something or return to a passion that they had before 
So I yes, think it makes perfect cool. sense like that you pursued this, this uh, new passion. Right. And I don't want to say, you know, you take, you, you, you find another addiction, you know, and it's right. Right. Of course. But I mean, of course, in a way you kind of, you, you do, you, you need to find something that you, that you love. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, you know, creating boundaries and there's lots of aspects of recovery that have to do with cordoning yourself off from addiction, right? Addictive like behaviors, but, right. um, but pursuing a passion and being a force for good is, I think, an essential aspect of recovery. And I think in a way, maybe it holds you a little accountable, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If you could sit down with Kim, your drinking self, what would you say to her? Oh, gosh. <laughs> It kind of it makes me like emotional thinking back, mm. you know, and I'm still pretty new in this. Like I said, my last drink, well, I didn't say this, but um, was on uh, last September. So it's only been about eight months. So everything's still That's pretty big, fresh. Though. The longest bout I had with sobriety was about a year and a half. So, but looking back, I, I know that my mindset back then was completely different than how it is now. But if I were to say something to my former self, it, w- it would be, it doesn't have to be this way. And without a doubt, like alcohol causes you so much more anxiety mm. than you, than you have. I always just thought I was just a naturally just anxious person. And I didn't realize that alcohol just added fuel to that. You know, also you won't be missing out if you don't, if you don't drink, I would always think that I needed to have a drink when we would go to social events and we're not super social people, but I couldn't imagine not, you know, going somewhere and then not, not drinking, you know, with people. I thought it wouldn't be any fun, but you gain so much more when you don't drink. I mean, number one, you remember everything. I mean, I can't tell you how many, I I've never been to a concert without drinking. You know, it's just like, Mm -hmm. I thought about that a few weeks ago and I'm like, wow, how fun is that? If you don't really remember anything, no more hangovers, wondering what you said or did or text, you know, the day before. But I would tell her that you don't have to go through this process or that you have to go through this process of trying to have a normal relationship with alcohol before you realize that you just can't. And it doesn't make you weird or lame or weak. It just means that you're wired differently than others. And and that's okay. Yeah. Reducing the stigma or concern around what does it mean about me? Yes. Yep. Going to sober concert, going to concerts sober, I find to be a really reflective experience on recovery. Yeah. And I was actually, I was hoping to attend a concert with Alanis Morissette this, this summer. Obviously that's not going to happen. If you Mm -hmm. think back on your journey, what has the relationship between pride and shame been? And has that changed over time? I had a lot of shame and self-loathing most of my adult life. Uh, And it wasn't like until I realized that letting go of that shame and not worrying about what others would think of me, if I admitted that I struggled with this like out loud, that I would truly be free. And it, it sounds like really cliche and kind of lame, but it wasn't just like shame towards myself. It was, you know, not like because of like who I was and I, who I was like trying to be or feeling like I, I wasn't good enough or smart enough or worthy enough, but like shame about continuously breaking promises to myself and shame about having, you know, anxiety, shame that I had this beautiful little girl that I like prayed so hard for yet I was still wanting to escape from myself, mm. like who I was, I, or I guess maybe who I, who I thought I was, but maybe, it, I don't know, maybe it was more like who I wasn't. 
And instead of like thinking I couldn't drink again, uh, like I mentioned before, I, I changed my mindset to I don't have to drink. But it took a really long time to get there. I mean, I would always, you know, people hear people say, you know, I, I don't have to drink. And I'd be like, okay, you know, that's great for you. But it's, it's honestly like something clicks in your head. I guess my story started changing once I kind of owned it. And I realized if I would just, you know, brush this under the rug and not really talk about it, I would still be carrying around shame. You know, I feel like I don't have this red flag, like waving in front of my face now or when I would stop drinking, like, you know, years before when I had my other periods of sobriety, I wouldn't tell anyone about it. Now I'd feel like super insecure if somebody asked me why I wasn't drinking because I felt like abnormal, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't know. So it's just definitely freeing to like be able to openly admit that you don't drink and that you, you had an issue with it and kind of just, I hate saying it, but like giving zero shits about what anyone thinks. <laughs> I love that. You said my story started changing when I owned it. That is so (laughs) powerful. I like have chills. (laughs) And we do, we tell ourselves stories, you know, about what it means about us. And I, I mean, the nervousness about why I don't drink, gosh, can I, can I understand that? I started this podcast with a little less than 30 days of sobriety. Oh, wow. Okay. Just with that exact notion, like I have to go all in or I'll never, or I'll never do it. Right. Cause I've tried and I've lied and I've, you know, right. It's, I've tried a thousand ways to quit drinking or moderate drinking or solve this problem. But in, but without telling people, it's very hard to maintain sobriety if nobody knows that you're sober. Yes, exactly. And that's what I did all the other times. I wouldn't talk about it. You know, I was mm-hmm. just, you know, I'm not drinking. I'm on fertility meds, you know, you know, I would just blame it on anything, but yep. just saying I can't do it, you know? Yeah. It's very different. Your story, it just becomes a part of who you are. It becomes who you are when you really take ownership of it. Yes, it definitely does. How about pride? Are you proud of yourself? I, I don't know. I mean, um, this is one of the things that I would journal about a lot because I felt, feel like in most of my life, I've never really felt proud of myself for anything. And I think, uh, you know, I would use alcohol to, to numb that part of, part of me. I felt, always felt like I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't have a, 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 a traditional career. You know, I have a bachelor's degree, but I don't have a master's degree. It was always something, you know, that I, I didn't have instead of being proud of what I do have. I'm starting to get there, but I think it's just going to take time for me to really be proud of who I am. I hope you get there. I hope I do too. I mean, I want my yeah. little girl to grow up and be proud of who she is. Yeah. You did a big thing. It's hard to get sober. It so. is. I mean, I hope you listen to this and feel proud of yourself. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> what is one question that you wish someone would ask you about yourself or your sobriety? I don't really know if it's a question, but I would want people to know that it's not black and white. Drinking is not black and white. Jolene Parker, I think it's Healthy Discoveries on Instagram. You know, she's a great area drinking expert. And I read something that she wrote early on that said, you, you don't have to be, you have, don't have to meet an alcoholic criteria for drinking to be a problem. And if you really think about that, I mean, it's super powerful. Like we don't have to hit rock bottom to question our relationship with alcohol. If it's getting like in the way of how we're feeling or doing our best, then like what purpose does it really serve you? And I think that many people have this false vision of someone that has a problem with alcohol. Like if you don't drink, you're either 
really weird, uh, you know, on one end of the spectrum or you're an alcoholic. Mm. It's just really unfortunate that there's such a negative stigma around this. And I think that it prevents a lot of people from admitting their problems to themselves and especially to other people. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would just want people to know that it's not black and white. You know, there can be people that look normal, that lead normal lives that have amazing jobs that have never gotten in trouble, trouble legally that are literally like struggling behind closed doors with this. Right. And you just, you just don't know. And until more people start, you know, speaking up about it, it's, you know, going to remain that way. I agree. And I think the stories are as varied and complex and different and painful and joyful, like as, as like just humans on earth, it's just amazing how different people's experiences are and also how, how much we share as it relates to wanting to escape or, you know, needing reaching for something, but it doesn't necessarily equate always or often to this image of somebody who has, you know, hit quote unquote rock bottom. Right. Thank you so much for taking time to share with us your story. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate this. I am so grateful to hear it and to watch it unfold. As always, I want to interview you. Drop a line at SobrietyCore on Instagram or visit www.sobrietycore.com to tell your story. That's www.sobrietycorps.com. Look for our next episode in about a week where we get to hear from a human behind an Instagram handle. Until then, be well.